Welcome to God's Acre On The Go, a worship podcast of the Congregational Church of New Canaan in New Canaan, Connecticut. To learn about the life of our church, our in-person ministries, and the virtual connections and offerings available, please visit us at www.godsacre.org. Now, wherever you are, wherever you are going, we welcome you to worship. Church family, good morning. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to God's Acre on the Go, wherever you are, wherever you happen to be traveling. We're grateful to have you tuning in. A couple of things before we get to the uh, anthem in the scripture today. We'll be focusing on the story of uh, Jesus raising Lazarus. But there's two things I want to highlight. Uh, first, um, I don't talk a lot about stewardship on the podcast, but it is amazing. We set a goal for uh, 400 families and individuals to participate this year. Uh, last year, we had 334. And as of today, we are nine pledges away, nine pledges away from 400. And honestly, when we set that goal, thought it was a little bit pie in the sky, but thanks to so many people's generosity, we're almost there. So in the link that you got to um, uh, access this podcast, there's a link just to make a gift. And and I really don't mind the size of the gift at all, just participation. If this podcast or our ministries positively influence your life in any way, please choose to make a gift so that we get to that goal together. It would be really neat if at the end of this month we were able to say we've made it. Uh, and by the grace of God and the generosity of our people. Uh, the next thing I want to say is that my friend Bill Lamar will be preaching next Sunday. Bill is the senior minister of the historic Metropolitan African Methodist Episcopal Church, four blocks from the White House in Washington, D.C., an incredibly dynamic ministry and pastor. And so you won't want to miss his message either on podcast and the live stream or in person if you have to be in, if you happen to be in the area. So I hope that you'll support our ministries if you haven't already. Hope that you'll uh, enjoy uh, Bill Lamar next week. But right now, I want you to prepare your hearts for the word that is crafted for you this day as we listen to our anthem. There is a candle in every soul Some brightly burning, some dark and cold There is a spirit Brings a fire, ignites a candle, and makes his home. So carry your candle, run to the darkness, seek out the helpless, confused and torn. Hold out your candle for all to see. Frustrated brother, see how he's tried to light his home candle some other way. See now your sister, she's been robbed and lied to, still holds a candle without a flame. Hold out your candle for all 
hearts are blazing so let's raise our candles and light up the sky praying to our father in the name of jesus make us a beacon in darkest times scary your candle run to the darkness see scripture text comes from the 11th chapter of John, selected verses, and tells the story of the raising of Lazarus. Listen for the word of God. Now a man was ill, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who had anointed the Lord with perfumed oil and dried his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was ill. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, saying, Master, the one you love is ill. When Jesus heard this, he said, This illness is not to end in death, but it is for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he remained for two days in the place where he was. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, only about two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she sent word to meet him, but Mary sat at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise. Martha said to him, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. 
Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I have come to believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he became perturbed and deeply troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Sir, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have done something to this man before he had died? So Jesus, perturbed again, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay across it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, said to him, Lord, by now there will be a stench. He has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes to the crowd and said this, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out tied hand and foot with burial bands, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. So Jesus said to them, Untie him, let him go. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Stir in our hearts and minds to understand these words and help us to see who we really are and to whom we belong. Pour through me the gift of preaching that by some miracle of your grace, these ordinary words might somehow become tailor-made for each and every one of us. And we know that they will, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For the past year and a half, we have been memorizing scripture verses, long ones, short ones, well-known ones, and ones that we simply want you to know. Today's passage is both the shortest passage in the Bible and one that changed theology in a dramatic way. I'm talking, of course, about just two words. The shortest sentence in the Bible, nine letters. It occurs in John 11.35, Jesus wept. Simply put, Jesus wept because his dear friend Lazarus died. But these two words are also emotionally and theologically significant. The words Jesus wept tell us that Jesus experienced emotion, in particular, grief. Jesus experienced the most common of all pain, one it seems we all come to know sooner or later, and that is the profound loss and gut-wrenching experience of grief, the loss of a loved one. The Greeks believed that one of the primary characteristics of God was apatheia, the complete and total inability of God to feel any emotion whatsoever. They reasoned that if we can feel sorrow or joy, gladness or grief, someone outside of us can have an effect on us and have power over us. Therefore, God must be passionless and compassionless, above feelings, devoid of feelings. So what a different picture the writer of the Gospel of John gave, saying, Jesus wept. 
suddenly we see God's heart wrung out with anguish. The very essence of Jesus is not a person of no emotion, but a person of deep emotion. So what is the good news there? The good news, of course, is that if we wonder if God cares about us, this passage tells us that God does care deeply and immensely. When we weep, God weeps. Wherever we are, happy, sad, elated, down in the dumps, God is right there with us. In our scene today, which is part of the larger pericope, Jesus arrives four days after Lazarus has died, and his dear friends, Mary and Martha, are upset with him for not coming immediately, for being delayed in the journey and saying, if you had been here, Lord, our brother Lazarus would not have died. Jesus approaches the tomb, which was either a natural cave or hewn out of a rock, and there was likely an entrance, and beyond that there was a chamber. And usually there were eight shelves cut in the rock, three on each side and two on the wall facing the entrance. And on these shelves, the bodies were laid. All bodies were enveloped in linen, but the hands and the feet were swathed in bandage-like wrappings, and the head was wrapped separately. The tomb had no door, but in front of the opening ran a groove in which was set a great stone like a cartwheel rolled across the entrance to seal the grave. The bodies laid on these shelves for a year, and when the family was allowed back inside to collect the bones to bury them properly, they came with a small box called an ossuary, a small funerary box which was put in the back of the cave with the other boxes. When Jesus asked for the stone to be rolled aside, Martha must have wondered if Jesus wished to look at the face of Lazarus for the last time. Martha pointed out that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Did you know there was an ancient Jewish belief that the spirit of the departed hovered around the tomb for four days, seeking entrance into the body again? But after four days, the spirit left the body when the body began to decay. Jesus demanded Lazarus to come out. Not only was it staggering for Lazarus to come out of the tomb, all bandaged up, but this particular miracle creates significant problems. First and foremost, the story of Lazarus only happens in the Gospel of John. So why isn't it present in Matthew, Mark, or Luke? Did they leave it out on purpose? Did the synoptics, synoptics not know the story? We don't know, but certainly it's puzzling. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which we call the Synoptic Gospels because they contain many similar stories and in many of the same um, uh, sequence, contain other stories of Jesus raising people from the dead. Jairus's daughter occurs in Matthew 9, Mark 5, Luke 8. The widow's son at Nain is in Luke 7. Both of these stories occur immediately after the death of the person which makes those of us who are modern scholars wonder if the person was really dead. Maybe they were in a coma. Maybe they were not dead at all. Our modern minds become skeptical very quickly. To make matters worse, there are many stories of people being accidentally buried alive in ancient Palestine. But the story of Lazarus 
in the 11th chapter of of the Gospel of John is clearly not a medical mistake. This was no blooper. It was four days, after all, and the detail that the body was starting to smell is proof. Unfortunately, since the story of Lazarus occurs only in the Gospel of John, we have no way to cross-reference it or look for clues among the others. While in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus cleansing the temple is cited as the reason Jesus gets in trouble and eventually ends up on the cross, in the Gospel of John, it is the raising of Lazarus that is cited as the reason he ends up on the cross. The story of the raising of Lazarus is the last in a series of seven seven miracles signs in the Gospel of John concerning the resurrection and the life. The Lazarus story connects Jesus' public ministry and the events we refer to as the Easter story. The final Passover meal he shares with his disciples, and then, of course, his death and resurrection. So how does the writer of the Gospel of John do it? The raising of Lazarus not only leads us to believe in Jesus' power to perform miracles, it accelerates the conflict between Jesus and the religious authorities. And the events that occur with Lazarus's tomb mirror many of the events that will happen at the tomb of Jesus. Jesus's extraordinary popularity caused by the events before and after this miracle add fuel to the fire. Everyone wants to see this doer of signs. And shortly after our passage in John 11, 46 through 50, these words occur. So from that day on, they planned to put him to death. Jesus had already told Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. These words we read at every memorial service. So I want to ask you a question because it is what every preacher asks the text as they sit with it and pray with, over it and listen to the text as it leads. What is the word of God here? Where does this text speak to us? Personally, I think it happens on a very personal level. And if you will allow me, I will approach it with great gentleness. Death deepens us. All clergy know that you don't become a pastor until you have sustained a few wounds. You can't help other people through the shadow of the valley of death until you have walked through it yourself. When my parents died and I was in my early 20s, my call to the ministry certainly evolved from that experience. From walking through the darkness for what felt like forever, but was really only a few years, and finding the light or creating the light and a new path forward. Every time I work with families and memorial services, I recognize that feeling that I see on their faces. Losing a loved one is one of the great blows of life. And we need friends, family, a church, and a community of love to pull us through it. Susan Vogel, dean at St. Paul's School of Theology, wrote these words when her son died. The world is never again as it was when someone we love died. 
It is never quite as innocent, never so fixed, never so gentle. I always believed in the resurrection of the body, but it was some sort of a phrase in a creed. And now it is not an esoteric creedal affirmation, but the fervent hope of a mother who has lost a child that he is not lost to me forever. As a child, I always loved Easter. The spring flowers, the chocolate bunnies, the egg hunt. But when my parents died, Easter took on a whole new meaning. Would I see my parents again in heaven? It wasn't a fun theological idea to toss around in a class at Yale. It was real. Folks, this is where the rubber hits the road. We believe that Jesus Christ has the power to raise us from the dead and that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Will I know my mom and dad when I see them again in heaven? My dad's voice? My mom's hug? They are a part of the great cloud of witnesses who cheer us on from the balcony of our lives. St. John Chrysostom, the fourth century saint, said, Those whom we love and lose are no longer where they were before. They are now wherever we are. Friends, I believe our loved ones live on inside of us, and one day, one fine day, we will meet them again. How do I know? I remember standing at the foot of my dad's coffin, and hearing him say to me something like this, I am okay. There is nothing to worry about. The experience was so profound that my call to the ministry began there. So many of you have said similar things to me when your loved ones have died, that you just know that they're okay. They are alive in heaven, and they are with God now. This is the promise of Easter. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Will the people of God say, Amen. Let us pray. O God, you rob death of its sting. You cause graves to set free their captives. You assemble and enliven dry bones strewn amid barren fields. Through the grace of the Holy Spirit sent forth in Christ, our mortal lives are aflame with your presence, redeemed by your love. You hear the voice of our supplications. You incline your ear to our needs. We give you our thanks for your kindness and your care. We owe our lives to your righteous salvation and the gift of your Son. We are the people of your compassion, your judgment, and your justice. You are our God, and we give you praise that is due to your name. May the breath of life that you give be for us an abiding source of inspiration and wisdom. Give us patience to listen to what others say, and may our presence be for them a comfort as they begin each new day. And now, 
Let us pray the prayer that Jesus taught his own disciples to say, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Worship on the Go. To support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please consider making a contribution by clicking the Give button in the top right on our website www.godsacre.org or within today's email. God bless you and have a wonderful week.